Hello, and welcome to Control Intelligence, a control design podcast that goes deep inside the automation and technology that machine builders and system integrators rely on to keep machines humming. I'm Mike Bassador, Editor-in-Chief of Control Design, and in this episode, I'm joined by Christopher Waller, Safety Product Manager for Beckoff Automation. We'll be talking about integrated safety architectures and their implications on modern machine design. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Glad to have you. Safety as a machine control context was born in 1996 with the EN 954-1 standard, allowing only relay logic or simple electrons. Although process industries have widely used programmable safety controllers since the 1980s, it wasn't until 2002 that NFPA 79 finally allowed for programmable safety controllers in machines following broad acceptance of IEC 61508. Now, more than 20 years in, the whole area of machine safety technology has gotten a lot more interesting. Technological advancements in safety have accelerated far beyond the capabilities of the humble safety relay of the past. Modern machine safety is expected to serve as an integral part of the main machine control platform, sharing a common hardware architecture, programming environment, and network. Programmable safety has continued to evolve, introducing new architectural flexibility and scalability, including those for standalone safety control, compact control, centralized control, and distributed control. Integrated safety logic is finding its way into a great variety of industrial devices today, such as DIN rail or machine-mounted safety IOs and servo drive systems. This proliferation of safety hardware and architecture means machine builders can introduce far more safety functionality in more places to better protect people, equipment, and products. So after all that, Chris, assuming everyone agrees that integrated safety is in fact here to stay, it may still take many different implementation forms. What are some of those different architectural possibilities? Today, there's really four different architectures with increasing capability and scalability. So the, the simplest is standalone control. So this allows for simple safety applications without control system integration, really. Uh, consequently, a programmable safety controller of one vendor can exist alongside any other control system or, for that matter, retrofit to older equipment that may not have a control system at all. So the safety functions for each machine are fully self-contained on devices with inputs, logic, and outputs. Uh, if we go up the chain a little bit, the next is what we call compact architecture. So much like standalone control, mm -hmm. uh, individual safety controllers operate independently with each other without coordination, but they are networked into a larger uh, control system. So in this way, a higher level system uh, can actually monitor those individual safety hardware and functions. Centralized control actually harkens back to sort of those original integrated safety over field bus concept of the early 2000s, sort of when all of this started going. And in a centralized architecture, a single controller actually governs the entire network of safety devices. And this is really where we start to get those larger applications and a lot more complexity. And then really when we get to sort of the, the big daddy of all of this, and the most flexible, we're talking distributed control. And this is where a network or a web of safety devices like IO or drives or whatnot 
contain their own safety logic and they manage local safety functions. And this higher level of safety communication allows for passing around larger safety functions like emergency stops or coordination amongst all those local pieces. So you can sort of think of it as leveraging the concepts behind almost like edge processing, where we process all of that data locally as much as possible and make decisions, and then we only move those pertinent pieces to, to where it's required. That's a great analogy with the uh, edge control, with the uh, edge computing, and then only passing along the, the necessary data as well. I, I never thought of it that way before. So moving on, what implications does the choice of physical and software architectures have then on the machine builder, at least from a from a technological standpoint? Yeah, so it's really about choosing the best architecture for the job at hand. So the flexibility to choose sort of while maintaining that programming work that they might have already completed becomes a really, really important piece. So take like a press break from the 1940s. Uh, it's probably going to end up with some sort of standalone control, right? We need to add some sort of safety. It didn't have it from the 40s. And since it likely just has some very simple relay logic and it was either electrical or probably hydraulic in nature, we're really adding these controls alongside what was already there with, you know, really maybe only some small alterations to that original design. And that's really the basic. So on the other hand, Say we have a manufacturer, maybe, maybe the same manufacturer that actually worked on that press break, maybe they produce machines and they produce some sort of sectional machine line. And in that case, a distributed architecture can really help break down huge applications with very high complexity into bite-sized chunks that, then, that can then interact as required. So if the simplest to most complex safety architectures can be achieved under the hood of a common platform, it's almost impossible not to realize that engineering efficiency because at some level, every machine builder, every integrator, they're gonna they're gonna end up with each and every single one of these architectures at some point or another. So how then how does that translate to to commercial impacts, for example? There's a huge impact, and it's really not just the machine builder that that um, that commercial impact also translates to the end users. Uh, it yeah. propagates. So right. you, you think about, you know, how many machine builders build just one machine? A single builder might level, leverage several architectures because it really isn't a one size fits all. Uh, you know, streamlining really becomes the name of the game, right? If, a, if an OEM uses manufacturer X for their safety, and then they need to use platforms A, B, C, and D to hit all those necessary architectural flexibility requirements, that's not efficient. Mm -hmm. uh, even worse, say that same OEM has to use, you know, three or four different safety manufacturers to cover all those architectural needs. Mm -hmm. That's not efficient. So multiple platforms get expensive with training requirements, different hardware installation, software maintenance, multi-vendor sourcing. The point is get it all on one platform, get it under one roof, right? And the same really goes to uh, more, we go more complex into that distributed architecture. Uh, distributed logic is actually going to offer a unique selling proposition for the OEM of that modular machine that I mentioned earlier. Because if that logic is distributed, the result becomes considerably less downtime for their customer if additional modules are added or things need to be, be changed. 
Right. Now, when it comes to the end users, I, I talked about that trickle effect, they inevitably end up with every architecture I mentioned. They need to stay right. running to make more money. And they can do this by minimizing their safety platforms. So they can diagnose, resolve issues faster, train on less platforms, ultimately keep less inventory that's sitting up, sitting on the shelf. And so the short is get all the flexibility and scalability that you need in as few platforms as possible, right? One roof, make more money. So for the end user, it's really, it's the same reasons as the machine builder, but to scope. There's even more so because they're they're inevitably going to have to deal with so many of the different architectures in the first place. Absolutely. So you mentioned the training as well. I mean, what resources are available to machine builders who are keen on improving their functional safety design skills? Uh, there's actually quite a lot. Uh, back off should definitely be your number one stop. Of course. But uh, the reality is, you know, manufacturers are a great resource um, for fundamental design information, but there's always going to be a bias there. So generally, uh, a really good place to start or, or the places to start is with, you know, the OSHA, with OSHA, uh, the standards themselves, industry organizations, and actually many of the testing labs. Mm -hmm. So in the U.S., uh, OSHA 1910.212 should be on everyone's radar. So this is the generic regulatory standard that uh, end users are going to be held accountable to uh, regarding the general requirements for all their machines. So being a regulatory standard, that's what OSHA is going to cite against. So that really needs to be on everybody's radar. Um, it's not particularly complex. They really need to take a look at it. Um, if we go to the standards themselves, um, IEC 61508, ISO 12100, ISO 13849, IEC 62061, all the mouthful around that. Those standards are generally considered the basis for machine safety. Mm -hmm. uh, however, as an additional resource, the US standards like the NCB 11 series often offer much more in the way of informative notes, uh, ex uh, explanatory information, uh, and that really leads to a deeper understanding much faster. And they also tend to get updated more frequently uh, because they're not subject to the machinery directive in the EU. So what that really means is that new technology is explicitly addressed much faster. And then one of my favorite organizations is actually the Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, or IFA. Uh, out of Germany, and they they publish some really incredible resources for both the machine builders and end users. And you know, some of the more important ones are actually uh, you know, functional safety of machine controls. So that's IFA Report 2, uh, 2017E, and safe drive controls with frequency inverters, IFA Report 4, 2018E. And the reason I bring them up is they really read more like a book they're getting started how can i learn more about the design how can i follow these standards and they just read really nicely and then finally you mentioned uh the training the testing labs the labs themselves are really fantastic options so ul along with uh, uh tv sued nord and rhineland they all offer uh this functional safety training and, and ul has actually even gone further to combine functional safety and cybersecurity together as an increasingly important subject because one can't really exist without the other, especially in an industrial environment. 
I hope everyone was taking notes on that and writing those down. That's a lot of <laughs> uh, a lot of standards to uh, research and review for sure. They're not familiar. Great stuff. So what other considerations should OEMs be making regarding integrated safety architectures in the equipment that they're building? What haven't we covered yet? Ask lots of questions during the design phase. Uh, consider the life cycle of the machine, the line, the plant. Uh, how do the machines interact with each other? How are, the, how are the machines expected to interact with each other tomorrow? Can my machine architecture, architecture easily change in the future? Do I expect it to? If my machine isn't modular today, is it conceivable to be modular down the road? Really, the, the more questions you can think of, uh, the more likely you are to end up uh, with an architecture and a platform that's really going to serve you well into the future. Perfect. Great advice. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for taking the time to talk with me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yes, you've certainly uh, said some, shed some new light on machine safety, and you've definitely given us some food for thought regarding integrated safety and its role. Thanks to our sponsor, Beckoff Automation, and thanks to our listeners for joining us on Control Intelligence. If you've enjoyed this episode of Control Intelligence, don't miss our older episodes, many with Beckoff, and subscribe to find new podcasts in the future. You can find our podcast library at controldesign.com, or you can download all episodes via Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Thanks again, Chris. Thank you.